Hey guys, thank you for checking into another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. Today I had on Ron Paul, and um, this has just been a crazy moment in my life. You know, two years ago, roughly, I started doing this podcast, and as far as libertarian cred goes, you know, this is kind of the pinnacle having him on. I only had him on for 20 minutes. He can't do long interviews. He's very busy, but it, it was a good talk. And I didn't ask him about any policy-specific questions. We didn't go over the war in Ukraine or any specific, you know, uh, rate hikes from the Fed or anything like that. Because if you want to find out that, you can just go watch the Liberty Report and you'll get your fill on that. I wanted to ask him about his legacy and what he thinks about the future and what he thinks about the Liberty Movement and libertarianism going forward. So that's what we talked about. Um, if you're new, please subscribe to the channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'll have links in the description to follow me on all of my different platforms. I'm on Odyssey. You can listen to audio format on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and then I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on several other platforms. Um, just follow me on all of those. I'm trying to get anti-war, anti-corporate, anti-establishment voices out there and try to expose the truth about what's really going on in this world. Uh, and without any further ado, let's get into the show with Dr. Ron Paul. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. Today, I am extremely honored. I have a, a guest that all of you know, three-time presidential candidate, former congressman from Texas, and a personal hero of mine, Dr. Ron Paul. <laughs> Doctor, thank you for joining the show. I know you don't do too many of these. It really means a lot to me. Great, great to be with you. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you too many policy questions. I think people can just go watch the Liberty Report and kind of you know know what you think from watching that. Um, I just wanted to ask you a few questions about your legacy and what you think about the future. Um, one thing that has always stood out to me about you is you're different than most politicians. Most politicians, they say one thing and then do another thing. Um, I don't like most politicians. And most of the time, it's not because I disagree with them. It's because they say that they're going to do something and then they do the opposite. Like Bernie Sanders, you know, he says he's for the working man. He says he's anti-war, but then he votes for war spending. He votes for corporate spending. You never did that. You always voted exactly the way you talk. So I was wondering, what do you attribute that to? Why are you so consistent when no one else is? Is that just the way you've always been? What what helps you be that way? Well, uh, f first off uh, is why why did I get involved in running for Congress? You know, and I had a goal and it wasn't to be in Congress. It wasn't to be into politics. People said, why'd you give up medicine, go into politics? I said, I never did that. I just got interested in policy and I wanted to, uh, to speak out. But it was also the reason it answers uh, partially to what you were saying there, that uh, I was disgusted with people saying one thing and doing something else is exactly what motivated me. So if, if something weird happened and I would end up going to Congress, I, I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. that. That would make me feel miserable. And so, I, so I wouldn't do that. And that's... Uh, that, that's a, a big difference, and it's happened so often. I had a lot of people would come to me, and they're running for Congress, and they would come and and uh, and tell me what they believed in, and it was all down the line, okay. But then 
I could tell within the first week on whether they were going to be uh, with us or against us when it comes to the policies of liberty. And uh, because as soon as they get there, the influence becomes overwhelming. They're enamored by all this, but the leadership pays attention. They, you have your committee assignments to get, and you have to do what they tell you, and where are you going to be, and raising money. They have all these rules and regulations. So if you need, if you want your committee assignment, and if you want to get money for your district, you have to play ball. You know, uh, play ball with, a, uh, with the team. You've got to be a team player, they would tell you. And uh, that sort of turned turned me off, and uh, I had no uh, personal need uh, to to be in Congress, but I had a personal desire uh, to put out a message. And uh, I learned something from Leonard Reed a long time ago. He says, Get, you know, have a message to understand it, and uh, and talk about it. And if it's worthwhile, somebody will come to you and want you to do something. And that more or less uh, did happen to my surprise, but I was pleased uh, because that because I never I always thought the most absurd thing in the world would be just to go out and, and run for the presidency. You know that that just seems so absurd. Uh, but uh, there were there were people that uh, urged me, and also also the motivation that uh, the argument was you can if you're if you want to get your message out, who knows you might be able to get your message out much more. Uh, running for the presidency than uh, just staying in Congress. Uh, certainly, my goal was never in Congress to play ball and become the chairman of the banking committee. That was an absolute impossibility because that's when you had to toe the line, do exactly what they tell you, and uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to tolerate that. Yeah, so even people who disagree with you on everything, pretty much everyone will admit Ron is consistent. He you know, he votes by his principles. He believes in what he says. So do you think all of these people kind of justify to themselves betraying their principles? Or do you think that they know what they're doing is wrong and they just do it to rise up the ladder that, you know, they, they realize they're being terrible and that they're stabbing their constituents in the back, but they do it anyways? I think, I think a lot of them know about it. I've had a couple, uh, you know, pretty conservative uh, members, uh, both Republicans and Democrats that we would have agreements with. And uh, they, they, would, uh, uh, they would say, you know, I agree, I agree, again. I, he, and they would say, I sure wish I could vote the way you do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because they knew it was consistent, but they were better at politics too. They did end up with, uh, the, you know, the uh, chairmanship of committees and uh, they were more influential and uh, you know so uh, yes they they knew it but there were others there were others who were incapable of understanding anything other than power and money and uh, their girl their goals uh were were only designed uh, to promote their little own world of political uh chicanery <laughs> and there's a bunch of those <laughs> that did it. But I think most of them knew it. And some of them uh, who do pretty well will be misled. Let's, let's take a for instance, and let's say you have somebody that does pretty darn well voting against the spending and all this, but they might be for uh, trade restrictions. They might be for tariffs. They're not real free trade people. And uh, they would rationalize that. Well, there's a limit to it. And I've 
do a pretty good job. I mean, they might be a 90 percenter, but there, but there might be something in their district they have to protect. And then it becomes very pragmatic and they sort of rationalize it because they do believe in government. They, they're not anarchists, so they wouldn't want the market to dictate. Of course, my argument is the market is very, very precise on what you can do and can't do. It's much more precise than the government. The government, you buy influence. But in the free market, if you go broke, you go broke. You don't get a bailout. Yeah. So someone that um, you worked a lot with who disagreed with you on a lot of things was Dennis Kucinich, who's a very principled left winger. He was anti-war, anti-corporate spending uh, for civil liberties, things like that. And I've heard you talk about progressives in the past saying that they're they're natural allies of libertarians in lots of ways. It seems like it's harder and harder to find those people now. I mean, you know, Tulsi Gabbard sort of uh, resembles that and a couple other people, but it's harder and harder to find people on the other side of the aisle. Um, I was wondering, where do you think the the most fertile ground for finding people who are going to be open to libertarianism is mm. nowadays? Well, I guess it's always in the same place. People have to be influenced by an idea <clears throat> and then decide but it, it has been uh, a bit disappointing to me because uh, when I first started dealing with this in a philosophic way is uh, I started thinking, well, you know, I don't like this war in Vietnam and I've been drafted and uh, I'd have to go to a liberal Democrat for saying, well, we shouldn't be there. We should come home and this and this sort of thing. So that uh, that was not as dis difficult. Now, now it's flip flop. You know, yeah. some, the, some of the Democrats now are more hawkish than the Republicans, but then the Republicans who used to be hawkish are more hawkish than they used to be. Uh, so it, uh, it is difficult. But the one, uh, and I think it's unpredictable. You can't say, well, I know there are 27 people in the Congress that have these thoughts and I'm going to organize them and convert, you know, convert them and have, have them come over. But the one tool that I use, I remember uh, Amu, Amu Houghton, I think it was, and he voted against, he was a, considered moderate liberal Republican, and he voted against going into the war in, uh, in Iraq. There were only six Republicans that, you know, voted against it. But, uh, and I was very pleased with that. But one day uh, he was giving a, a little talk, uh, a, you know, a special order, a five-minute special order on the floor, House floor, and well, it was good. You know, it was civil libertarians uh, issue. And I don't think I had ever had a conversation with him at that particular time. It might have even been before before the uh, it might have been. Yeah, I think it was it might have been before the uh, Iraq war broke out. So the, the the next day I called his office. And I talked to his staff and I said, oh, is, is your congressman there? And he said, no, he's such and such. And he says, uh, he says, he says, oh, I'll tell him you called. I said, oh, that's OK. I'll find him on the floor. Uh, nothing special. And I tell you what, um, when I got to the floor, he looked me up. He was dumbfounded. What does Ron Paul want with me? You know, so he came over and we had a really friendly conversation. And he turned out to be a real close friend. Didn't change, you know, his voting, but I knew there was something there that, uh, that there was an affinity for. And I guess in a way your question is, can you still find people like that? And I would say yes, uh, but it's probably more difficult because it's so uh, so antagonistic now. 
Uh, and you know, some of the, the bad ones I didn't like are now really bad. <laughs> and uh, then others, uh, it's, it's, almost, it's almost dangerous uh, for people to, to break lockstep, you know, with, uh, uh, with their leadership because uh, most of them who are staying there have to have uh, uh, some benefits from the leadership. So therefore they don't want to take them on. So I, I don't, I, it has changed. But for me, I think if I were there today, I might be a little more frustrated finding my allies, you know, across the political spectrum. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, you've had an effect on the lives of millions of people. With me, it was actually after you ran for president in 2012. I remember I, I was a, uh, a senior in high school when you ran in 2012. And I remember thinking, I like that guy. He, like He's definitely saying what he thinks, but I didn't internalize your message. I didn't really think about what you were saying. It was just kind of on a surface level. Uh, it was two years later in 2014, I actually went back and was watching all the videos of the debate with Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich and all those moments. And I was like, wow, this guy is just spot on with all this stuff. So I know millions of people have felt that way about you. What, in your opinion, is the most valuable part of your legacy, whether it was in Congress or running for president? What's the most important impact that you think you've had? Well, you know, I think somebody else should, uh, you know, make those decisions. And, you know, it doesn't seem like that's what my job is. Is to try to say, well, this is why I did this. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I think the, uh, the, the impact comes from, uh, you know, stories. Because uh, I did, I have to admit, uh, I never dreamed I, uh, that I'd have a big crowd. Uh, when I was before and when I was first in Congress, I would go to the college campuses because there was always a, a libertarian group, but I'd get like 15 people or so, and that was it. But they ended up being in, uh, in, in my campaigns and helping and working for me long term. So it wasn't like you wasted your, your time. But uh, when I had large crowds, I'd frequently have a young person come up uh, to me and they say, well, what I really like about what you, you're saying is that you're so optimistic. And I, I, I think I knew what they were saying, but I wanted them to, to tell me. I said, how can I be? I just spent 45 minutes telling you why you ought to be a little bit concerned and you better wake yeah. up. The country's broke, you know. And I said, and I would say that to them. But then I would spend about 15 minutes talking to, on the more positive side. It doesn't need to be this way. The, the answer is clear. We have a hint of what we can do. We know about the Constitution, that sort of thing. And uh, then they, and then I would ask them, and I said, I said, why, why are you uh, complimenting me on, you know, obeying the Constitution? Uh, every candidate on the floor on those debates, they always let you know that I'm a firm, especially the Republican, I'm a firm constitutionalist, and this and this. And the words were right. So I, I would ask a young person, I said, well, you know, so-and-so said this. He was saying the same thing, that we should have a Second Amendment and we should uh, have property rights and all this. I said, what, what is the difference? He says, uh, he says uh, we didn't believe them. <laughs> so there's a sense of that. And uh, I guess I shouldn't be embarrassed by the fact that people see that I am leveling with them. And you even said it at the opening. 
because uh, I, I think that that quality is is very very important, and that is my substitute for playing the political game in order to uh, try to change things. Somebody would sometimes would say, "Look, you were there for twenty some years. You you could have had a lot of senior orders. You could have been the chairman of the banking committee." A lot of good it would have done. By that time, I wouldn't have had a soul, you know, in order to do that. So it's it's uh, it, it it's something that I think credibility. Uh, I, I like to know that I am, but I still think I have to work on it all the time because I don't want to make a mistake. I want to make sure what I'm saying is correct. If I don't absolutely know something, I say, I don't know this, but this is what I think, and this is the way we move, and this is the way I think the market would handle. This is what I think personal liberty is all about. And they, they, then frequently I, they, those kind of answers would come when they say, well, what did you do about discrimination? You know, how are you, how are you going to settle the disputes over the discrimination that goes on? And so I'd I have to give an answer for that. And that to me was, uh, you know, a, a challenge. And, something I actually enjoyed trying to do because by that time, if, if a person comes and asks a person, another one out of respect, would you tell me why you think gold is better than crypto or something like that? And uh, what's your position on that? Uh, and they're sincere. Then, uh, then that's when they're listening after they, and that would, <clears throat> that's what happened with Walter Jones. Walter Jones was not always, uh, you know, anti-war. He turned out to be the best ally anti-war because he had credibility because he switched, you know, as the wars expanded, uh, you know, it started with uh, Afghanistan and then Iraq and, and then he switched and uh, sort of a light bulb went on with him and he and I became very, very good friends and we worked together with uh, Dennis Kucinich frequently and some other Democrats, we would do it. And uh, those coalitions, you know, I, I really liked because I thought that's where the answer was. I don't like uh, to have, uh, uh, you, you know, a, a, co a coalition of conservatives and liberals coming together and they each give up something right. come together and become a real middle of the road moderate. But if you have a Dennis Kucinich or a progressive Democrat and they have instincts for civil liberties and anti-war, and if you're conservative or libertarian, you do, you don't give up anything. You bring them together and all of a sudden, uh, uh, philosophically, your numbers grow. Uh, and I think that should be available all the time. I think it still is, but there are times like what we're going through now, the, the war against COVID certainly confused a lot of people that uh, uh, fortunately, the truth is coming out about, uh, you know, the the over uh, overkill on that war against COVID. But uh, there's there's always going to be a, a, you, know, you know a project like that, and but but it is important to bring people together, and uh, I think it's uh, that's probably the most important thing because you know if you want to have a more libertarian society, uh, and there's eight percent of us that are libertarian, you're not going to do much if uh, all you do is say you idiots, why did you start this? Why did you start that stupid war? And why are you for protectionism? Uh, instead of understanding why and how you can give them an answer that makes makes sense, and if you gain their confidence, if they if they can see to you that uh, you're very consistent, sometimes I would tease them a little bit. They say they would say, yeah, he's very very consistent and all this stuff. 
I said, what does that make you? <laughs> you know, you don't agree with doing, voting this way. And, uh, but they would admit that I'm consistent, but at times consistency is not welcome. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's persuasion that you work with. And uh, I, I just believe that it's out there. I, I do believe there's a source out there, but I don't I always make the comment, you know, isn't it amazing what we think and, uh, and I glow about what, what, how many tremendous benefits there are with, with freedom and liberty and sound money and, and, uh, and property rights and prosperity, more prosperity, more peace than ever. I said, how, how is it that we don't win more fights? Uh, there's something wrong with us that we don't present our case very well. So I think that uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about that and trying to make our case more palatable for everybody. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, it, this is kind of harkening back to what I said earlier. Um, if someone calls themselves a Bernie Sanders progressive, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? You vote for Biden? Does that mean you vote for the CARES Act? What does that mean? But if they say I'm a Ron Paul libertarian, I I know what page they're on. And I'm like, OK, I, or a Ron Paul Republican, whatever. I'm like, all right, I can work with this guy. You, you've been kind of the exception to the rule. So many people latch on to a person. You know, they, they have this cult of personality and that can kind of lead them astray. But I mean, with you, I think you're the exception to the rule where that if you're latching on to Ron Paul, then I can't really take an issue with it. Um are there any people up and coming in the liberty movement for the future that you are really looking forward to seeing how they excel or what they end up doing? And then the other part of that question I want to ask is, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm almost 28. I'll be 28 in about a month. Um, and, you know, we're on the verge of possibly World War Three, maybe. And we're 30 trillion dollars in debt and everything looks kind of bleak. So. What would you tell young libertarians like me who really care about all this stuff that you have talked about for years? What should we do to try to push this cause forward? Well, you, you have to do uh, what you do, whatever you do and what you ever decide. A lot, I get that question a whole lot. And uh, sometimes when I'm in a crowd, somebody will shout, what do I do now? Tell us what to do and all this. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell them that... Uh, uh, you know, do what you want. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Some people do podcasts. Some people write books. Some people work for candidates. Some people become candidates. Some some want to become a real teacher and not uh, somebody that's just pumping out nonsense in a university. And uh, some people will do it through art or, or whatever. So everybody has different talents. And, uh, and I, I think, you, but the thing of it is, if a person gets to the point where they basically say, you know, I have a pretty good feel about what uh, you know what a free society is all about and the rejection of the use of force to bring about changes and then apply it to every, everything we do, uh, people, uh, people do that. And uh, then, then it's, it's not that, that difficult. And, and, and the principle of nonviolence, uh, you know, is very attractive. But uh, I, think, uh, I think people will come this way sometimes it takes so long that's what uh, people get discouraged about you know uh, two years ago when they were bringing all, all this nonsense about a uh, natural immunity it was totally nuts it, it challenged all the science everything i learned in medical school the whole worked but uh and a lot of people did get to shouting and we did a lot of criticism but it turned out that 
eventually, uh, you know, uh, it's still, the nonsense is still there, but it's shrinking uh, because we were, <clears throat> we were right on that. So I, I think sticking with that principle is, uh, is very, very important. But uh, I, I think it's up to the individual. And I would think, uh, Reed, uh, what you're doing is you're reaching out. You've studied, you understand it. Now, Leonard Reed, who I respected so much, he would say, study, 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 understand it and know what it is and know how to answer it and answer it with a tone that means that uh, <clears throat> you're not aggressive, that you're just persuasive. See, I don't think, I think the only real tool we have is intellectual understanding and the use of persuasion and rejecting the idea of force or reject the idea that government should mandate or dictate. So when I see the government coming down and say, okay, they don't understand anything about the gold standard. So we're going to pass a national law. Every single kid at a freshman high school has to spend this amount of money and this amount of time studying the gold standard. No, that's not, that's not right. People, people will uh, get interested. Uh, I, I think most of my education I felt worthwhile came after I left uh, college and even out of medical school that I was curious. People have to be curious and, and look for answers. And Daniel and I do that every single day. We're looking for, you know, factual answers and, and, and find out the real news on who's telling the truth. And that's, uh, that job goes on forever and ever. But the other thing is, if you enjoy this, uh, the people come to conferences uh, it's been difficult because of all the nonsense that's going on. But one thing I noticed at conferences, people get together, they're basically like, they're like-minded, and they always seem to be having a good time. And uh, that's why I get discouraged when I say, why aren't we doing better? Why aren't our converts coming much faster? So I put a little bit of that blame uh, on us. Their resistance, of course, is a problem. But it's on those of us who are passing out the message. Maybe we haven't learned well enough how to present the case uh, for this. But it is pretty rough running against a system of government that promises you everything and, uh, and will take care of you and uh, that uh, we don't want to hear the truth. So it's, it's, really, it's really an invitation for people to compromise and uh, accept uh, the government handout because that happens. If they're going to, what if, what if you gave the full explanation of how to handle, uh, you know, COVID. Well, you'd have to challenge the monetary system. They can't play it. They can't pass out the money. You have to get rid of the government involved in medicine. So it becomes overwhelming. But you still have to argue the case that freedom is a better answer. And if you can't say it's an easy cure, you can say it's a great prevention, uh, uh, you know, for us to combat the authoritarians. All right. Well, I know you got to run. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you have changed my life in no small way. This is <laughs> this is my crusade that I'm on to try to, uh, you know, try to wake people up to this message. Uh, everyone, go follow the Liberty Report and Ron Paul again. Dr. Paul, thank you for joining me. Good to be with you, Reed.